0: The text for today is 1 Corinthians 10, 23 to 1 Corinthians 11, 1. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For... The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. I've taken the chicken's way out today.
1: And uh, the chicken's way is that the primary focus of my, uh, and our attention this morning, will be on um, explanation, not illustration. Because when we're dealing with Christian freedom... Um, we all have those uh, things that we light our hair on fire, um, saying that we're able to do that, and I don't want to cause too many fires here today. So the issue that Paul is dealing with, and I hope you understand that my, my, what I'm saying, the issue Paul is dealing with is a Christian liberty, Christian freedom. He started in actually verse 1 of chapter 8, and he's been working his way through, and he'll, he ends with it in verse 1 of chapter 11 that Chris um, read for us. He's been using uh, the example of um, participating in worship or idolatrous feasts or eating meat offered to idols as an illustration of how we can use our freedoms to our benefit or to the hurt of others around us. And so that's the focus of where we're going today. It's uh, for us to consider and think through how do we live out our Christian life in those areas in particular that the Bible doesn't speak of. It can be a minefield, actually, to, to do those. Uh, how do we think through the exercise of our Christian liberty in an idol-infested world? We looked at that the last couple of weeks. We live in a world that is full of idol worship, and we are sucked into that constantly. And secondly, how do we live out our Christian liberty before one another, uh, before the people of God and before the body of Christ? I think what we need to understand, and I think every one of us here knows this very clearly, that the Bible is not exhaustive in outlining the things that we can and can't do. If it were, it would be so encyclopedic that we would never read through it. And so what we're dealing with here then are are things that are not clearly referenced in the Bible as things that we can or can't do, things that we need to avoid or things that we need to do. Our lives are made up of so many actions and activities and thoughts and attitudes that are neither expressly forbidden nor clearly called for in the scriptures. And it's these sorts of things that Paul is trying to give us principles on how we live our lives for. I can throw some of them out. Um, There's many more, these aren't limited. Um, There are thousands of these sorts of things. Can I work in a place that sells alcohol? Can I go to this specific concert? Should I visit that city on holiday? What about these clothes that I'm considering buying and wearing? Are they appropriate? What about going to those Broadway musicals when I visit New York? What about video games? After all, video games, I don't know anywhere in the Bible. It may be Revelation 23. I think there's a reference to them somewhere. But where do we find references that guide our video gaming activity? What about movies and the internet and all the things that are open to us there? What about tattoos and piercings and hairstyles? And on and on and on the list goes. What does the scripture have to say about our Christian freedom? How far does my freedom extend to things that are not expressly forbidden in the Bible? If the Bible doesn't address them, then mustn't I be free to do whatever I want in Christ? It's these things that Paul has in mind as he outlines, us, outlines for us principles. Let me give you some broad parameters, kind of zero in and then go broad again with us this morning. First of all, I think if we have foundations on which we build our life, these are four foundations that come out of this text which I think we can sh- with certainty build our life on, our living and our uh, behaving. In everything I do, do it to the glory of God. That determines the limits of the exercise of my Christian freedom. In everything that is permissible for me to do, the thing that constrains that freedom is the glory of God. Secondly, in everything that I do, love matters. Because love builds up. That is Paul's central theme. It starts in verse 3 of chapter 8, and he works it through. Among the people of God, love sets the boundaries or the limits of the exercise of my freedom as a brother or sister in Christ. Thirdly, in everything that I do, the gospel matters. Among unbelievers, those who are not yet followers of Christ or those who haven't heard the gospel, the desire for them to come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior guides and directs the exercise of my personal freedoms. So we've got everything covered there, right? We've got our relationship with God. We've got our relationship with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. And we've got our relationship with everybody else. And our example is Christ Jesus. As we walk down this road of Christian freedom, it's a great road, but there are considerable dangers on either side. I call them soft shoulders. Those of us who have been driving for any length of time know the danger of soft shoulders. You're driving down the road, and you, you kind of veer off a little bit, and you hit sand, or you hit loose gravel, and before you know it, you're, you're in trouble if you're not a careful driver like me. But You can get into big trouble in a hurry on soft shoulders. Let me give you the two soft shoulders of danger when it comes to Christian freedom. The first is legalism. It is easy to fall as an individual or as a church onto the soft shoulder of legalism. It's an approach to Christian living which turns just about everything into a rule. It knows nothing about principles, It knows nothing of trying to apply Scripture in a way that isn't wooden or constrictive. It creates elaborate lists of do's and don'ts. These lists might vary from culture to culture, or they might even vary from church to church. But the common theme behind a legalist is a list of rules and regulations. And then our spirituality is judged by our willingness to comply with that list of regulations. Consequently, then, people's lives are not ordered by the Spirit of God. They're ordered by rules. And the thought is you are spiritual from, by refraining from things on the list. And your freedom is found by scoring high if you keep rules on the list. The trouble with legalism is that it stifles our freedom... It confuses our thinking or our conscience. It limits the work of God in our the word of God in our lives. It diminishes the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And if you've ever watched The Princess Bride, it's a bog of despair. Everywhere you walk, there's flames shooting up that are ready to burn you. Legalism will burn you. On the other side of the road, though, if you veer to the left, is license. And I've been in settings where churches have embraced license. License says that everything is acceptable. This also has great appeal to people and even to churches. On the soft shoulder of license, freedom is unchecked and it's unqualified. You judge everything on the basis of your personal conscience. As long as your conscience tells you that you can do it, you're free to do it. Here you will find a wide variety of people engaging in an expansive degree of uh, behaviors, exhibiting a wide variety of attitudes, some of them which are very perilously close to going against clear declarations in the Word of God. And they aren't bothered by this. I'm free in Christ, don't you know that? After all, don't you know that Christ has set me free? But there's a distinction, Jim, welcome back, sorry, I just saw Jim's back from China, make sure you go talk to Jim at some point today. Uh, I could say hi to a lot of you today, actually, but I will refrain. There's a distinction between freedom and license. License says I can do what I want, when I want, with anyone I want, because I'm free in Christ. And since I've been forgiven of my sins, past, present, and future, then the things that I'm about to do I've already been forgiven of. So therefore I'm free to do them. This too is a curse. And also an entranceway into the bog of despair. True freedom has boundaries. And those boundaries are established in truth. So here are... A few general clarifications that Paul gives about the exercise of our Christian freedom, and then a couple principles. First, verse 23. Let's be clear about what Paul is saying. When he says there twice, all things are lawful. Or some of your Bibles might say, everything is permissible. Uh, At first glance, that sounds pretty freeing, doesn't it? It seems pretty expansive. It seems to say here have at her. The world is your oyster. And it is. But it doesn't mean that everything and anything goes. It doesn't apply to things that are specifically identified or forbidden as sins in the Bible. It doesn't apply to those things that the Bible specifically calls us to do. It doesn't mean even that we can ignore the laws of the land. Because those laws, after all, are established by governing authorities that God has set over us. So, this is not a freedom to disobey, it's not a freedom to disregard. What it is, is Paul is saying anything about which there is no rule, about which there is no law, you are free to do. It's a wonderful freedom that we have as Christians. There's a lot of gray areas. There's a lot of amoral issues. There's a lot of things that we are confronted with on a day-to-day basis that there is no specific instruction in Scripture given to us. I remember years ago, um, when Kath and I were raising our kids, um, advice that uh, kind of was running around in our heads, and uh, I can't remember who said it, but one of them was sort of, if at all possible, say yes. I wish we had have thought that through a little bit more myself personally, but just I think I set up too many rules and regulations for my boys. But we tried to say yes as often as possible. It's in keeping with this. Like if there's no law against it, if no one's going to get hurt, if you're not going to get hurt, then fine, fine, go at it. We just didn't know that they could get terribly hurt doing those things. But secondly, and I think it was Charles Swindoll that said this, raising kids should be a little bit like a suspension bridge. Two firm foundations with a lot of give and take in between. That, loved ones, is also our approach to Christianity, I believe. And if at all possible, yes, be free, enjoy, live in this world that God has made for us, and enjoy the bodies that God has given you. Understand that there are some very clear foundational realities, but there is a lot of give and take in between. And so in Christ, we are free. And yet we instinctively understand that just because you have a freedom does not mean it is wise to exercise that freedom. And so the first thing is simply just a clarification. All things are permissible. Think that through, loved ones. The second thing is edification over gratification. Does it build up? Paul says twice, all things are permissible, but he clarifies it twice. First of all, he says all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable or helpful. We know that, do we not? There's lots of things that you are free to do, but if you do them, you're going to bring harm to your body. You might bring harm to somebody else. You might bring harm to the environment. Not all things are beneficial or helpful or profitable. As the Bible says in one place, what does it profit a man if he gained the whole world? The world is our oyster. There are so many beauties and so many wonders and so many things to investigate and so many things to do and so many things to learn. But if you gain the whole world and lose your soul, what has it profited you? You're free to do all of that. But is it helpful to you? And so I think the first one is a clarification or a qualification on our personal freedoms. You're free to go over to Russia and visit Chernobyl if you want. not a really wise thing to walk around there for a week or two, though, would it be? The second one, I think, relates to others. All things are permissible, but not all things build up. You understand what he's saying there? I think parents, this is something you need to drive into your home and into your children. I think for older siblings, it's so important when you're thinking about your younger brother or sister. Yes, it's okay to do things, but think about its impact on your family. Does it build up? Does it strengthen? Does it nourish? Does it encourage in fact, that is a Christian ethic that if Paul will come to again and again and again in 1 Corinthians. Does it build up? As he started in verse, chapter 8, verse 3, saying, Love builds up. So think about this, parents. Think about this, students getting ready back go back to school. Think about this as an older brother or sister. Think about this as a, a tender of Parksville Fellowship Baptist Church. You are free to do so much. Is it helpful to you? And will it build up the body of Christ? So here's a grid. Simple. It doesn't take long to work this through in your head. This thing that I want to do, this freedom that I'm experiencing, this thing that I, that, I, that I have so much pleasure in doing it, is it expressly disapproved in Scripture? No. Well, then it's permissible. All things are permissible. I can do this. But it's not where you stop It's not just good enough to ask, is it allowed? Then you have to ask another question. Okay, it's allowed, but is it helpful? Is it profitable? Okay, No, it's not. Okay, I won't do that. Okay, it is. Okay, I'll do that. Okay, that's not where you stop because you're not an island. Is it beneficial? Will it build up? Oh, if I do this, then it's going to impact that. I guess I won't do that. It's an easy grid. Is it permissible is it helpful will it build another up pretty helpful stuff it may be uh, it may be helpful for us to think through then this principle edification over gratification it's not just about me and what I want it's about others and what is good for them that's illustrated in verse 24 then a little bit where he gives another clarification there let no one seek his own good but the good of his neighbor. I think in our world, that just rubs us the wrong way. You know, we, we, we really are so ingrained with self-focus. It's all about me. It's all about my rights. It's all about my freedoms. I don't really care about how it impacts you. You've got to figure that out for yourself. But this is my time, my world, my life, my money. I'm going to live how we want. Paul says, no, no, no. It's others Jesus came, after all, not to be served, but to serve, did he not? And you might remember what Paul wrote to the Philippians. He says to them, Be of the same mind and of the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Oh, man. Really? Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Really? A description of the church as a body is a helpful illustration of it It would be comical, if not absurd, and maybe you could find this in Monty Python, of a body walking down the road and all of a sudden the hand shoots off and it goes that way and the leg starts wiggling that way and the eye bolts over there and the ear bolts over there. It'd be bizarre. If every part of your body did what it wanted when it wanted, however it wanted. It'd be bizarre. Paul says that same thing ought to constrain, uh, reality ought to constrain the use of our freedoms. We're not in this on our own. We're part of a world. We're part of a family. We're God's children. Loved ones, these things should go through our heads as we live our lives. It's not meant to be a heavy on us. They're, They're just considerations that we ought to think about as we go through life and as we act and as we live and as we enjoy this world. Three tests. The license test. But not everything is profitable. I'm free to do it but not everything is profitable. And I ask myself, am I under the guise of my freedom as a Christian allowing something into my life, entry into my life of something that the Bible down here clearly says is close to me but I'm inching up towards it? Or the legalism checked? Everything's not beneficial. Am I condemning others because of the list that I've created that are not in the Bible? You understand that your list can just as easily tear down and discourage another as your license can. And the liberty test. Will I willingly forgo something that is clearly allowed because I am concerned how it will impact another person? When was the last time you willingly gave up something that you are free to do for the sake of another. Just work it through a little bit on your own. Fourthly, you're sensible people. Think your actions through. Verses 25 and 26. Fascinating stuff for me, I find anyhow. Paul says to them, okay, eat whatever sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth of the Lord and the fullness thereof. What's he saying there? Again, it's the issue of meat off of the idols. And he's saying, listen, you, ought, you, you should not participate in idol worship and idol feast." But as I mentioned, some of that meat afterwards, the excess was sold to the market. So Paul is saying, if it's in the market, eat it without worrying about your conscience. Now what's going on here? Well, I think there's a couple of things that he's getting at. First of all, he's saying, listen, don't parade your conscience before others. I just wrote this. Look at me. Well, you know, I don't offer eat meat or meat offered to idols because I'm a Christian. You're talking to the, the meat owner here. Could you tell me about this meat, really? Now, where does it come from? You know, because I don't eat meat offered to idols. Oh, I already told you that, didn't I? Like, did it come from that celebration last night at the Temple to Aphrodite? Or, you know, was it part of that birthday celebration? Because I don't meet, eat meat offered to idols, after all. I just want you to know that. Paul is saying, don't, don't do that. Don't parade your conscience in front of other people. I think, secondly, he would also say, don't tie yourself up in knots. Woe is me. It's the other end of the spectrum, you know? It's the self imposed internal battle that we have. Well, I think I can. Oh, I don't know if I can now. Well, that meat's got a piece of tinsel on it. It must have come from the meat from that celebration they had. I'm not eating this stuff. Oh, I wish I didn't have such a strong conscience. Woe is me. It's that takeoff. On, oh, man, I'm going to get in real trouble. But it's that takeoff on that Michael Jackson song. Eat it. Just eat it. That's what, that's what Paul is saying here. Don't get overly worked up about it. Don't. Don't tie yourself in a knot about it. Don't parade your conscience before one another. Why? Because everything is God's and everything belongs to God and everything comes from God. So eat it with a clear conscience. Exercise your freedom. Don't give up the principle of Christian freedom easily. I'm trying to walk a number of fine lines here. That's one of the things, though, I want us to understand. Don't give up your Christian freedom easily. In this issue, food will not make us acceptable to God. We're not inferior if we eat it, and we're not better if we don't eat it. In other words, don't refrain from certain things because they happen to be on another person's list. Relax, walk in freedom, walk in liberty. Another thing he'd say then is, be considerate of a weaker conscience. Verses 29, or 27 to 29. And it's a fascinating scenario here. You can work this one through. Just let me open it up a little bit to you. It seems like the scenario being described here is, is maybe a block party. Um, we, we have a block party in our neighborhood every year. They're a lot of fun, and um, it's a lot of fun going to that block party when nobody knows who you're doing because you, you have some fascinating conversations. So finally they say, so what do you do, Paul? And I learned not to say this anymore, but it took me a while. I say, well, I'm a pastor. Well, over the next five minutes, you find people pick up their chair and they, they're <laughs> moving over here. And, and there's Kath and I sitting in the corner eating some hors d'oeuvres and everyone is gone. So I've got I to gotta pick up figure, at another line. And maybe I'm in the people business or something like that. But anyhow, you're invited to this uh, this, this gathering that an unbeliever is putting on. Maybe it's a business party. Maybe it's a wedding. Maybe it's a celebration. But you're invited there. and There's also a few Christians there that are with you. The buffet's put out. And on that buffet is this massive, juicy, mouth-watering hunk of meat. And you're just about ready to stab into it with your fork. And your Christian brother whispers into your ear, Hey, Paul, do you know that that was offered at sacrifice last night? And you pull back your fork and you think, okay, what am I supposed to do? You risk either offending your host who has put on this incredible meal or you risk offending your brother or sister in Christ because they haven't got that freedom. And it doesn't just apply to meat offered to idols, loved ones. It applies to a group of young people thinking, let's go to a movie. Ten of them say, yeah, that's a great movie. One of them says, oh, I don't know if I want to go to that one. Well, you go, you go off. We'll see you for coffee after. No, you can't do that. So whose conscience do you offend? Do you offend the conscience of the unbeliever who has put on this incredible meal and invited you to? Or do you offend the conscience of your brother and sister in Christ? Paul says every time, hands down, you offend the conscience of the unbeliever. And you side with your weaker brother and sister. You see, loved ones, there is a real danger when neutral things are handled indiscriminately or with a cavalier attitude. To be challenged by the weaker conscience of another and think, well, I don't really care about that. Come on, eat the meat. Come on, watch the show with us. Come on, we we can go there. Like, that's not a big deal. We're all fine with it. It's not acting in love. And Paul would say the ultimate expression of freedom is the willingness to restrict my freedom for the sake of another. So be considerate of a weaker conscience always. And then finally, one other thought before he gives the principles is love trumps freedom every time. There's something going on in verse 29 and 30 which I, I, I fully don't understand. I'm just trying to work it through so you're getting my best shot at it this morning. I listened to a couple sermons. I went on into commentaries, and nobody really helped me. So this is my own shot at this. But notice that he says in verse 29, um, don't eat the meat for the sake of the conscience of the one who formed you or informed you. I do not mean your conscience, but his. I wish I had uh, wrestled with this a lot earlier in my life, and this last week it's been helpful for me to, to work through this. What Paul is saying is when you don't exercise your freedom because of another person's conscience, you don't bind your own conscience. You don't give up a freedom that you've already understood and embraced yourself. He says what you are doing is you're exercising restraint on your freedom for the sake of their conscience, not yours. And you're not to go home and change your conscience on the issue. In other words, you're not to have your conscience shaped by the conscience of a weaker brother or sister you see if that happens then you go home and you think oh, man i'm a hypocrite i thought it was okay but now i guess it's not okay and i can't eat it and you tie yourself up in knots because of the weaker conscience or you might think you're double-minded well i'll do it in this situation but man i hope they're not at the next party that i go to because i really want to eat that meat and you're perplexed. paul says listen no You're not doing anything about your conscience. You have got there freely and rightly before God. You are restricting your freedom, not your conscience. And therefore, he asked these questions then. Why should my liberty be determined by somebody else's conscience? If my conscience is okay with it and their conscience isn't, why do I not get to eat the meat because of them? Love. Love love builds up because of your concern for a weaker brother or sister in Christ because you do not want to destroy one for whom Christ died and the second question in verse 30 if I partake with thankfulness why am I denounced for that which I give thanks I prayed for this I thank God for it. it all comes from God now why am I denounced because of that person's conscience and I say it like that because I've thought like that and Maybe you haven't, but I have. And again, love. You do it because of love. your concern for another brother or sister in Christ. And we'll see there's an even greater concern than that. So those are just some considerations. Now we'll get to the points. And I think we can do these really quickly. He jumps into them in verse 31. So... That's a, that's, a, that's a hint to us. This is a conclusion now. Oh, he's wrapping everything up. He's drawing everything that he's been talking about, Christian freedom, he's draw, drawing it together now. And the first principle is simply this, live for the glory of God. What's the chief end of man, says one of our catechisms. The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. This is really important to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Why am I not doing this? Am I free to do this? It's not just the big things in life either, but it's the little things. It's the mundane things. It's the everythings in our life. Notice what he says there. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all. Is there any room for an exception in there? Is there any room to compartmentalize something and say, well, God, you know, I'm okay in this area of my life because I've figured out my freedoms and stuff, and I'll do it, but over, uh, I'll give you the glory for it. No, he says in everything. Eating, drinking, whatever you do, all things, all the time, everywhere, anytime, do it all for the glory of God. From vacuuming, to mowing the lawn, to cleaning your room, to being on time, aren't you glad that God wasn't late with your salvation? That's my pet peeve, I... I, being late drives me crazy. It's just, uh, anyhow, <laughs> I, shouldn't, I shouldn't do these kind of things. I've got only a few minutes left, and I shouldn't rant on my time off. <laughs> Keeping your commitments. Driving. Attitudes. Every single one of your rights, everything, every single one of your actions, everything, every single one of the pleasures that you enjoy, all things, everything, done to the glory of God. It's not that God needs us to do that so he is glorified. God is glorified in himself. Without anything, everyone, God is glory. But by our actions, we reveal the glory of God. By our actions, we reflect the glory of God. That everything that we do, if it has God in mind, it brings back to God glory and honor. And so Paul says, in the exercise of your freedoms and all the things that you enjoy and all the pleasures that God has given you to, 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 to benefit from in everything that you do, though, make sure that as you do them, you bring glory to God for all who watch and even in your own thought life, it brings glory to God. It's a pretty simple principle. Just ask yourself, will it reflect the glory of God? Will it reveal the glory of God? Secondly, And this is summing up a thread that's been all through this. Don't cause another to stumble through the exercise of your freedom. This is huge. It really is. It relates to husbands and wives. It relates to parents, to their children. It relates to older brothers, to younger brothers. It relates to us as the body of Christ. It relates to us as we live in the world around us. Give no offense. Cause no harm or injury. It's the same word that's used in Philippians 1.10 and it simply means to be void of offense. Just exercise your freedom in a way that doesn't cause offense. That's, I don't know. It's not a hard thing to do. It's a thoughtful thing to do. And he, 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 he there's no area that isn't there regarding the church do nothing that causes a Christian to founder in faith regarding the Gentiles do nothing that would validate the legitimacy of a non-believer to resist God regarding the Jews do nothing that would even get a hint of legitimacy of idolatry that there's no realm. There's no um, uh, area in which we live where we ought not to think about this principle. Those do not cause it's a willful action. It's not by accident. He says, don't do something that will deliberately cause another person to stumble. It's kind of like you've got a I don't care attitude. I really don't care. You know, I've been looking forward to this for so long and I'm going to do it. I don't care how it impacts that person. You know, there are certain things that we shouldn't do because by our doing them, we will cause other people to stumble. My indiscriminate commitment to a certain freedom will cause somebody to stumble. That's living in license. It's, it's my exercise of freedom without the concern of how somebody else might be led into sin because of my exercise of that freedom. But there's a flip side of that, and I don't know if we think about that. There are also things that we do do that cause people to stumble. My legalistic lists create a false sense of godliness that cause people to stumble. I think parents, we run the risk of this in our homes sometimes. We have all these rules because we, we just, it's hard to explain things. It's hard to get these things across to our children. So we just set up rules. And Christians sometimes can even set up more rules. And our kids just can't wait to get out of the house to get out from under our rules. And many of our rules are not rooted in Scripture. They're rooted in Preference. And a church can do the same kind of things. We have so many rules as a church and people can't wait to get out from the church so that they can live freedom freely and they destroy themselves. And so by our license, we can cause people to stumble and by our legalism, we can cause people to stumble. I think this is, I don't know, I, for me, this next point is, I never thought of this. I'll be honest, I have not thought of this point. And I'm ashamed that I haven't, but Paul has made me think about it. Verse 33, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they might be saved. Apart from glorifying God in everything that we do, a conscious awareness of the exercise of our freedom should be that we want to see people come to know Jesus. And that I ought not to have a cavalier attitude to the exercise of my freedom, such that I disregard how that might impact somebody in their search for truth. It's, it was a stunning one for me to work that one through a little bit in my life this past week. That's how Paul explained it. He says, For though I am free from all, in other words, Paul is saying, I'm free. I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as under the law so that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. I became all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I did it for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. The ultimate freedom is not freedom to do whatever you want. The ultimate freedom is the ability to restrain and constrain that freedom for the good and the benefit of others. And Paul is saying, listen, I, have been, I am aware of all that I do because at the end of the day what I want to do is I want to see as many people come to know Jesus as possible. So think this through then with me, loved ones. What course of action will most clearly bring glory to God and what course of action will be the most effective witness to Christ? The principle then is that I ought not to do anything that might imperil the salvation of another. So if food or anything else causes my brother to fall, I will never exercise my freedom recklessly. If my food or my freedom to do this will uh, cause another to have a wall put up against Christ, I will never exercise that freedom. Which is the last one, be shaped by Christ's example. So Paul says, Be imitators of me as I'm of Christ. Selflessness for the salvation of others. Think that through a little bit. Selflessness for the salvation of others. Here's just a few verses. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you in but so that by his poverty you might become rich. He's God. He owns the resources of this universe. He's free to use them and and spend them and enjoy them because he's God and He's made them and they're His. And He willingly set aside that freedom. To become one of us, to become poor, so that we might enjoy his riches. For even though the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom to many, Christ restricted his freedom as the Son of God in order to serve us so that we might become sons and daughters of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he was God. He counted equality with God not a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Christ is our example. He set aside the prerogative and the exercise of his freedoms as God in order that you and I might become sons and daughters of God. He's our example. I hope, loved ones, that none of you is sitting there thinking, oh man, what a downer. All this stuff that I've been in. No, no, no. There are so many freedoms to enjoy. But just think about them in this grid now, that's all. Just think about it, as you live your life and as you make choices day by day as you engage in things as you go to school as you go to work as you go to neighborhood parties just have in mind is it glorifying to god will it cause another to stumble will it remove as many roadblocks as possible to that a person watching me for them coming to know jesus as their lord and savior as well god help us to live in a way that expresses our freedom to his glory. Father, we thank you for your word today and uh, just for the way that it is helpful to us, Father. It, it was written, I know, a long, long time ago and it might seem for some that it's irrelevant, but I can't think of things that are more relevant than learning how to live in community, learning how to live in this world around us, learning how to um, enjoy the amazing freedoms and gifts that we have, but not selfishly, but selflessly. So help us, Father, today I pray to think this stuff through in our own lives. In Jesus' name, amen.